This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14-day trial, visit shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. Hey, everyone, welcome to a special edition of the Shopify Masters podcast. This past week, I was in San Francisco attending the Shopify Unite conference, which is Shopify's first partner and developer conference. The purpose of the conference was to bring Shopify's partner community together, as well as to hear about some important new features coming to the Shopify platform. At the conference, I caught up with Shopify CMO, Craig Miller, Director of Product Satish Kanwar, and product manager Daniel Patricio to discuss some of the product announcements that were made and to understand what they mean for merchants. We also discussed how commerce has evolved over the last few years, where it's headed, and how merchants can take advantage of existing and emerging opportunities and trends. I'm joined here by Craig Miller, CMO of Shopify. So Craig, you know, we're here at the Shopify Unite conference. Awesome to see the progress that Shopify has come, you know, the ecosystem evolving and everything. Given your kind of position at the very high level since you've been able to see how e-commerce has evolved, you know, we'd love to hear more about where e-commerce was when you first joined Shopify and how you've seen it kind of grow over the time that you've been there. And then we'll, I'd love to you know, dive from there, dive into more about where you see the future of e-commerce going. But, but yeah, I'd love to kind of hear more about uh, you know, where you started uh, with Shopify and meaning where the e-commerce landscape was and how it's evolved over that time. So welcome. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me, Felix. Um, so I joined Shopify about five years ago now. And uh, when I joined Shopify, um, more or less the pitch for Shopify was a website with a shopping cart. Full stop. That's what Shopify was for the merchants. At the time, there were about 15,000 merchants that were companies in the world that were using Shopify. Uh, and that is what most of our customers wanted at the time. They simply um, uh, thought selling online was um, something they should do, and all they needed to do that was to have a website with um, a list of products, a description, and a shopping cart that you could buy. The transition that's happened over the years, though, is that um, you know, thanks to things like mobile, and I think mobile can't be understated, um, having a website's not enough anymore. So now you need to have a mobile app. You need to sell on Facebook. You need to sell on, you know, use Instagram. So I think just the, the different ways in which you sell have just, uh, the complexity involved in all of it, the um, opportunities available by all of it, um, really has caused there to be a sort of fundamental shift. So now the way we look at Shopify is, is basically a system where you can have your products, your customers, your orders in, and from that you can actually put your products on different sales channels. We still have an online store in which we think happens to be one of the best online stores in the world. But if you want, maybe you don't want to use Shopify for your online store. Maybe you just want to have a Facebook store. Um, uh, so we have lots of customers that do just that. Maybe they just want to sell on Pinterest exclusively or Twitter or um, you know, what we've announced at Unite is now there can be millions of more sales channels developed. Um, and so we really want to be the system that allows you to sell on those different channels. And of course, the complexity for most merchants would be that if they wanted to do that, um, they need to set up hundreds of thousands of different things. Whereas with Shopify, you set up one inventory, one list of products, and then you have one in, sort of inbox for all your orders. 
Uh, and so that's the transition that we've kind of made as a company. And we did that in reaction to the fact that the world has changed. Um, more and more people are spending time on their phones. Uh, so you need to have mobile apps. You need to support selling it through, uh, through mobile. And who knows what the next thing is. So we're building this sort of for the long term. Awesome. So during the time that you were a Shopify or that you are a Shopify, is there anything that surprised you about e-commerce's evolution, either new trends that popped up that maybe came out of left field or maybe things that you did see coming but, but uh, had accelerated way faster than maybe the marketplace had expected? I think one of the most interesting things about um, e-commerce was initially the complexity was actually selling online. So it was setting up a website so you have to figure out servers, you have to figure out HTML, you have to get designers, you have to get someone to set up a, a domain, you've got to figure out DNS, you have to figure out PCI compliance, you have to figure out all that stuff. Um, and then platforms um, like Shopify came along and actually simplified all that. That said, a lot of people still struggle. And what they struggle with now is not the complexity of, selling on, of setting up an online store, it's actually selling online. So the struggle they all have now is you have an online store, but it's effectively like a store on an empty street. So they have to figure out things like SEO or AdWords or Facebook ads or you know, Instagram marketing. Uh, and those are a lot more complex, a lot more competitive, a lot more difficult. Um, and I think um, you know, those that can figure those channels out really well are the ones that are very effective. Um, but the complexity is no longer in, in the idea of setting up an online store. It's now actually in selling online. And the two, th two things sound very similar, but they're actually quite different. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I, whenever I do talk about store owners that, that use a platform like Shopify, it's always like uh, you, the hardest part of starting a business is no longer the technical details, which has always been, like you're saying, the biggest hurdle to, to, to kind of overcome. Now it's more about, I have a store, but how do I actually get people in? How do I actually run a business now rather than how do I get a website going? Um, so the, the channels that you were talking about, you know, I, I think it makes a lot of sense that now Shopify is positioning itself as a place where it's like a hub and then there are many different, I guess, tentacles where you can bring more people into your, your store. And I think mobile is a big thing that, that I heard during the Unite conference and I think that you also believe in. And it's something that I've heard a lot of industry, just in tech in general, that this is the year of mobile, this is the year of mobile kind of over and over again. Is there anything particular about the trend that you're seeing today or you see kind of coming in the near future that makes you say that mobile is the most kind of important channel that you can focus on? Yeah, so we've released some of the data publicly now. Um, so if I, I'm going to go off the top of my head. I'm going to try and get this number down to within the nearest 5%. But I'm, I believe last year we, we gave the number in December that about 61% of traffic to uh, online stores that are powered by Shopify actually came from mobile devices. So 61%. So it's no longer that mobile is kind of an interesting use case or... It's a trend. I would say it's now um, the common use case. If anything, the minority is people using laptops or desktop computers to actually visit online stores. Now, on the flip side of that, there is the fact that conversion rate is actually still very low. Uh, and when I say low, it's actually slightly less than 50% of shop, uh, orders on the Shopify platform actually came from mobile. That said, that is starting to uh, ramp up the conversion rate on that. And so that's why at this conference we announced some of our initiatives around mobile to improve uh, conversion rate on that. So, uh, for example, being able to use Apple Pay and now Android Pay, that will help with the conversion rate as well. 
Um, but I think we've seen this huge trend where people are spending, uh, or, or at least appearing that like they want to shop on mobile more and more. Now, the interesting thing, too, that we've also seen is, is just if you look at the industry as a whole, the statistics show people are spending more time on their phone, less time on front of computers. That said, they actually spend a lot of time on their phone in about five apps. And those apps that they spend most of their time in are things like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. Uh, and so that was part of our strategy when we actually said, how do we build commerce into those popular apps? So, and the benefit for that is um, a merchant no longer needs to think about how do I get someone to go to the app store, download my app, and buy. It's simply, they're spending time on Facebook. How can we just get them to purchase uh, my products off of Facebook? And so that helps uh, solve the mobile conversion rate problem as well. Yeah, I think it's um, for, for store owners out there that do believe that they should focus on you know mobile first, like this idea of designing your store, designing your experience with mobile in mind. What do you kind of see, maybe examples that you've seen or um, just, I guess, your thoughts on how can a store owner think mobile first? Like, what does that actually mean when it comes to building a store, building a brand? Like, what does it mean to, to focus on mobile first? So this has been uh, a key priority for us as, the, as a company. And actually, one of the interesting approaches we took is instead of, um, you know, typically what happens when you design a website, you start out with a mock-up. That's what they call it. So it's more of a, a very sort of, it's got boxes and circles and squares. And that's sort of what the website will look like, but before it's been polished. And so typically, a lot of designers would show us mock-ups of screens that they would use. Um, but we actually took the approach of saying all the mock-ups have to be first uh, represented for mobile. Uh, and then we'll figure out what the desktop version looks like. So the same thing, uh, if you're thinking about designing a website uh, these days, it actually makes sense to think about what the mobile version of that looks first, because again, 61% of the people that are looking at that will do so on a mobile. And then afterwards, think about how does this expand if I have a much larger screen? And so that's been a, a, an effective technique that we've been using, but it's something I would encourage all your listeners to use as well. Yeah, and when it comes to this idea of you know taking obviously uh, taking uh, advantage of the opportunities that lay ahead of you, one of the one things I want to talk about is this Forbes article that you wrote, which is about the the gig economy, right, where people are now no longer. Uh, the typical nine-to-five job is maybe not as secure as it once was before, maybe not as attractive as it once was before, and which means that people are now driven towards other opportunities. What are your thoughts on kind of landscape of someone that's maybe graduating from college, coming out of high school, and thinking about how can they plan out what they should be spending their, their lives on to earn a living? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there, there have been some great articles uh, written over the past couple of years where they actually forecast the future of jobs and the futures of work. And they start to, to look at it and they say, well, there's a very good chance that something like between 25 and 50% of jobs won't exist um, within the next decade. And if you look at the most common uh, employment uh, for a female uh, is a waitress. For male, it's a truck driver. And so those, uh, those two jobs, for example, can easily be uh, reduced and, and basically uh, replaced with automation, with robotics, with... Um, you know, self-driving cars. And again, some of those things sound a little bit crazy, but think about it. The iPhone hasn't even been around for a decade yet. Um, so I think um, people that are graduating from high school, um, early, you know, in their university career or just graduating from university, I think it's very important that they think about the fact that long-term, a lot of these jobs will never, um, you know, won't be around by the time uh, they're looking for work. So I think it's very important that people think about um, what will stick around. And so what will stick around 
Uh, people still buy and sell things. I don't think that's going to change for a long time. Uh, and I think if you can build an effective brand, if you can build an effective product, and you can find a way to get that to the masses, then, then you're um, setting yourself up for success long term. But I, I think if, if, the, um, if someone decides to be a lawyer uh, today, which sounds like a safe job, uh, there's a very good chance, again, that's, that's been one of the careers that people think long-term will actually disappear. And so what will it be replaced by? I think you're starting to see the semblances of some of that today where people, um, you know, they, they um, drive an Uber, um, they happen to run a Shopify store, and maybe they teach a course. Um, you know, uh, those types of, um, and none of those would be considered full-time jobs. Uh, but each one added together uh, equals uh, a lot of opportunity for them, and it's something that can't be easily taken away from them. So I think that's, that's again, more of, of what we'll probably see more over the next couple of years, uh, but you're starting to see semblances of that today. That's awesome. So for anybody that, that's out there that wants to, that's listening, that maybe hasn't started a store, hasn't gotten started in e-commerce, uh, and because you've, you know, again, you've, you've sat in a position where you can see the landscape at a much higher level than I think a lot of people like us that are maybe working, it, that working on it day to day, that are much kind of closer to the ground. Are there things that a store that's opening up today, are there any things that, that you see stores that, are, that have been doing in the past that uh, a brand new store owner should either consider doing differently or maybe focusing on something differently. Like, obviously, a good example would be mobile first, right? That's something that hasn't been pushed to the forefront for existing stores. But if you're starting a store today, obviously, maybe you want to consider doing things mobile first. But are there any other kind of trends or maybe like status quo approaches to business, approaches to e-commerce that as a store owner that's starting a store today, starting a store tomorrow, they should consider doing differently than, than the status quo today? Yeah, I actually, one of the pieces of advice that I'll often uh, give to entrepreneurs is actually think about distribution before they think about the products that they're going to sell. And I think that's a little bit counterintuitive. I think the traditional thinking is, um, I'm going to sell widgets, and then they think, okay, the hard part is building this widgets, and, and now that the widget has been built, I'm going to figure out marketing and advertising. And instead, I've found very effective businesses are ones that actually say, Pick a medium, something that's interesting, something that's new, say Snapchat, for example, and they say, okay, Snapchat's out there. Um, lots of people are starting to use it. No one's quite figured it out yet. Uh, is there a way for me to build a business around Snapchat? Um, and when you start with that approach, you don't have any sort of legacy issues of, of um, you know, will that generation appreciate this or, or, or any of that? Um, so I found that that's been a very effective way to do that. And I think it's, it's, if you pay attention to the trends that are happening, if it's people using Snapchat more, I mean, there's, there's a good example. Um, Instagram has also become quite popular. Um, so starting out by thinking about these, these distribution mechanisms, I know Pinterest, for example, has an a, a sponsored uh, uh, product that not a lot of people are using. So if you start out with something like that and you say, here's my distribution mechanism, then you look into the audience and then do a lot of testing, figuring out how people are using it. Um, and then from there, figure out what the right type of product is uh, for that audience, instead of going the opposite direction. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea of audience first. And even, like you're saying, take a step even further, which is think about the distribution channels, the sales channels, the marketing channels that you can, you can uh, you know, dominate or, or utilize. So once you have this distribution figured out, you have an audience that you've built, you mentioned that from there, you have to then find ways to monetize it. 
Is there a good kind of um, mindset to to approach this? Like, how do you figure out what you should be selling once you do have an audience? Is it as simple as asking them, or like, are there more kind of um, a more uh, rule of thumb, I guess, that you recommend people follow? No, I, I think um, you can use simple cases. Uh, for example, just buy some products and um, actually try and sell them. So buy them at, at retail rates and then try and sell it for a slightly elevated rate and see if your customers um, you know, pick up to that. Um, so I, I, again, I think the, like the challenge is no longer in uh, uh, can I build a product, um, what's the right product? It is in the um, how do I build an audience of people that actually care about, about what I'm saying about. So if you can build an email list, if you can figure out um, all these different channels or any of the, the channels effectively, um, you know, one of my favorite um, examples is um, Evernote, which is a product uh, a lot of people know, a lot of people have heard of, but they actually start out with, um, with sort of a semblance of an idea, but then they launched right around when um, Apple launched their App Store. And so they were one of the first apps in the App Store, so a lot of people started downloading that. And, and part of their growth strategy for a long time was simply be the first in any new uh, app platform. And so it's, it's that sort of thinking. If you can be first, if you can cultivate a fan base, if you can figure out these different spots, and it doesn't have to be one of the popular ones. It just has to be something new and innovative because the problem is there's just so much competition. There's so much, um, like people's attention are just all over the, is all over the place now. And so if you can find a good way to um, find an audience that actually is engaged, that cares, um, that isn't um, seeing thousands of other ads uh, for a product, then I think that's a good good starting point to build off. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about how if you do have an audience, you do have kind of raving fans, once you have that figured out, a lot of it is no longer uphill, right? Because once you have raving fans, you see this a lot with, um, with uh, influencers, right? If you're working with influencers, the reason why people love working with them is because they can literally influence a lot of people to buy whatever. If you can build that yourself, you don't have to do this influencer marketing. You are the influencer. And once you are the influencer, then solving what should you sell, what should you, what should you be selling to your audience is a much, much easier problem to have because you have that channel for feedback, for media testing. And I've talked about this on, the, on previous podcasts about the thousand true fans model, which is that you really don't need that many raving fans to build a legitimate business, especially if it's just run by yourself. Uh, so I think that... It's been proven in the past that company or that um, single founders that have built a, a true fan base with not that many people, they can earn a very, you know, really um, uh, great living off of it. Uh, so one thing you're saying about how picking the channel is important because you don't want to pick one that already is inundated with a lot of ads. So you do, you do feel like there are certain channels that might be too saturated for you to, for it to be worth it for you to invest your time in, especially if you're starting from scratch? Yeah, so uh, I believe it was Andrew Chen uh, who wrote about this law. He referred to it as the law of shitty click-throughs. And so it's, it's a fascinating uh, um, blog post. If you can find it, I'd highly recommend reading it. And so the premise is the first banner ad on the internet had an 86% click-through rate. 86%. So out of 100 people that saw the banner ad, 86 people clicked it. Today, if you can get a 0.086% click-through rate, you would be considered an absolute genius. Mm -hmm. And why is that? It's because people see ads all the time. They know exactly what they look like. They're 460 by, you know, 
by 80, like they, it, it, there's blindness. They've actually done research now where someone actually went out and bought banner ads where it was simply white, so there was no message, there was nothing on it, and that did better than an actual banner ad that had a message on it. So there's just absolute blindness happening right now. It's because all of us are getting bombarded with ads constantly. So the challenge with, with that environment, with that um, situation that's happening right now is how do you actually break through the noise? And so you have to find a spot where there are no advertisements or you have to make your advertisements so much better than everything else. And that's, that's very hard. So it's a lot better to actually think, how do I get my message out to people in a new and unique way that's not simply the same as everyone else? It's, it's hard, but again, if you can figure that out, that's, that's the type of business I'd invest in. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense about how eventually any platform is going to get to a point, any advertising platform, any medium is going to get to a point where it's so saturated that you eventually have to move off of it and go to the next thing. Is there a, a way for a store owner out there to know when it is time to move on? Like when they know that it's, they don't want to be the one that's caught left behind when everyone else has jumped ship already. You know, that happened a lot with AdWords, right? No one talks about buying on AdWords anymore. More people are talking about buying on Facebook now, but there's so much now talk about buying, buying Facebook ads that I start to wonder if that's going to become the next thing. Eventually it's going to happen, but how do you know when it's time to jump ship? I, I, I think uh, everyone should be very into analytics if they actually want to run a business. Um, Today, like not knowing your, your data, not knowing your, your customer acquisition cost, your lifetime value, uh, if you can get an ROI, like those are all table stakes. If you can't figure those things out, and these are, it doesn't need to be overly complex, right? But you need to know if you're spending a dollar in advertising, can you earn the right amount back so that your, your dollars aren't wasted? That's just absolute table stakes. So people need to get really into the analytics. And, and I think there's still the illusion that people need to be very focused on creative aspects of it. And my belief is actually you need to be very analytical about all your marketing. And so once you do that, then it becomes a simple, um, simple game where you say, okay, if this channel's no longer effective, turn it off or dial it down. Um, in a lot of cases, what you'll do is you'll actually probably keep it still running, um, but it simply won't be a high growth channel for you anymore. Um, but one thing that's also interesting is, is and oftentimes you'll actually find that, that certain channels go out of style um, and those actually come back. And so, for example, for years people said SEO was dead. And it wasn't dead, it just, you know, people are still searching on Google just as much as they used to. It just became a little bit more challenging and it stopped becoming the high growth ones. Uh, but everyone stopped thinking about SEO, so then it actually became an effective channel to use again because everyone said SEO is dead, move on to Facebook. Um, so I think the best approach is to try a lot of things, see what works, scale the ones that can, keep your, eye on, keep your eyes on the numbers consistently, and uh, figure out what works for your business. But again, I would start with figuring out um, a strong channel that you would base a business on uh, versus focusing too much on building a product before you have that channel figured out. What is conversation with commerce? So before I was talking about the importance of mobile, and if you look at what people do on their phones, um, for the last couple years, it's been spending a lot of time on Facebook, again, on Twitter, on, on Instagram, on Pinterest. But about a, a year and a half ago, there was an interesting trend where actually a, a new, uh, and you'd call that all social media, right? We were all talking about social media, how that's what people spend all their time on their phones doing. But if you look at it about uh, a year, year and a half ago, this new category emerged, and that was uh, messaging apps. So people started spending their time on uh, Facebook Messenger, which became a separate plan and, and, and platform for them as well. 
uh, iMessager, um, WhatsApp. So people started spending more and more of their time in these messaging apps. Now the interesting thing is if you look towards Asia, um, this, is, this has been happening for, for quite a bit of time already, and those messaging apps started adding more and more features, more and more functionality. Um, so for example, in China, you can actually buy and sell products within your messaging apps. Um, and Facebook has tipped their hat at a little bit of this. You can now order an Uber from uh, Facebook Messenger. Uh, last year at their developer conference, F8, they showed how they predict uh, buying and selling will happen through messaging apps. And so this is a trend that Shopify has been keeping its eye on very closely. We're very interested in figuring out uh, and, and working with our partners to figure out what should conversational commerce look like. And this, this place takes place in two different types of forms. So one is, uh, as a merchant, how, how will you interact with your uh, potential customers? And then uh, from the flip side, it's also how does uh, Shopify interact with its merchants? So in a not too distant future, it's very conceivable to think that Shopify will start sending you uh, messages on Facebook Messenger saying, hey, it looks like you're running out of inventory, you might want to restock. Um, just like today you have apps, um, a lot of people predict that actually instead of having apps on your mobile phone, there will be a lot of conversations that happen. And so just like, and this is a little bit abstract, but if you can bear with me, it makes a bit of sense. Um, the, the app you spend most of your time with on your uh, desktop or laptop computer is Chrome. So you, most of the apps you use nowadays, like Slack or Gmail, you spend uh, a lot of your time on your desktop computer in a web browser. And so a lot of really smart people think the same thing, an interesting sort of trend will be on your mobile phone, the app you're gonna spend most of your time in will be Facebook Messenger or one of these messaging apps. And so the question and the challenge for all of us is how will uh, commerce evolve on, um, on those platforms? And that's something we're actively working on uh, building. Yeah, so when you say that these uh, sales are going to be happening in these uh, messenger type of um, mediums, are you talking about like the salespeople directly talking to the customer or are there not going to be ads that show by your chatting with your friends? So, so this is where it's actually quite interesting and really good for small businesses as well, is that if you think about the old way that you used to shop, you'd go into a store and you'd talk to a store owner and you'd say... Um, you know, I'm, uh, my wife, uh, it's her birthday coming up, and this is what she likes, what would you suggest I buy her, right? And today, that, those conversations don't happen on the internet, right? You just go to a web page, and it looks the same for me as it does for everyone else, and it's a grid of products. So if you can imagine the future, it will be um, you actually conversing with potential customers. So it will be that conversation that someone will text you saying, hey, I'm looking to buy these types of products. Uh, and you can suggest products to them, and with a simple click, they can buy them from you. And then you can follow up with them later on. You can say, hey, did the products fit? Did, they, you, know, did you like them? Hey, here's the sale that's coming up. And so that's why everyone's so excited, is because it's kind of a throwback to the way that commerce used to happen with uh, having a one-to-one -one interaction with your customers and potential customers. And we almost lost that for, for a decade or two with the internet, where it became very anonymous, right? You're one of many shoppers. Um, you get a, a templated email when you place the order. You never deal with the actual merchant unless there's a support issue. Um, and that, that actually doesn't create any loyalty. So by actually having that one-on-one -on -one interaction between the merchant and a, an actual consumer, you can actually build a huge amount of loyalty. And, and you know, if you think about Zappos, they've actually done that. Zappos is known for that, that sort of relationship that they build with their customers. Uh, but this is now going to be available for everyone to take advantage. 
Yeah, I think um, I've heard this saying, too, about how the only way to compete with Amazon is through customer service, right? Because it's much more hand, you can actually be hands-on and you can be way more knowledgeable about a particular customer situation than an Amazon can be. Uh, so is this something, and obviously, you know, Zappos has done an amazing job with this, but for somebody out there that is, uh, that has a store that's, you know, generating a good number of traffic or sales, how can they do this in a scalable way, right? Because it's, if you're talking about salespeople technically, you know, talking to or actually talking to uh, visitors, can you actually manage a team of people that could, you know, do this at scale? What kind of concerns are there with doing something at scale? So the exciting part about this is there's a lot of uncertainty as to how the, the future will un- unfold. And so you have two options. One, you can say, I'll wait until the dust settles, until a bunch of best practices have been written. Um, or you can be the first one to do it and make a shit ton of money. So I would recommend just jumping in, trying to figure this out, and potentially building the next you know, multi-billion dollar brand by trying to figure out how, how conversational commerce will evolve. Yeah, that's amazing. Because I think uh, I've seen these uh, statistics too where live chat, right? Live chat on a website, it can actually, that will actually close sales where someone has an objection before they make the sale, make the purchase because they're not sure about if it's going to fit or if it's going to work with a particular, you know, they're buying clothing, if it's going to fit or they're buying gadgets, if it's going to work with their other gadgets. So these are questions that people come up people's heads. And typically the way that you would overcome those objections is through your product descriptions, actually putting it into text. But sometimes there are things that come up that don't fit that mold. And that's where it seems like where you're saying that live chat or conversational commerce will actually fill that gap over time is to, you know, come in and say, hey, uh, you, are you having an issue with, you know, are you having questions about a particular purchase? Let me kind of walk you through it. Yeah, and I think if you think about your website today, how many visitors actually convert into customers? You're getting 1%, 2%, 3%. Think about if someone actually walks into your store and, and says, hey, I'm looking to buy X or Y or Z. How many can, of those can you convert? I'm thinking it's about 10X you can probably convert one in 10 of those, not one in 100 of those. So I think this is a great opportunity, again, for those that are trying to figure it out and, and for those that first take advantage of what's being built. And, and again, this is, this is going to be a big trend for, for um, the e-commerce industry as a whole over the next year or two. Um, and I would encourage your listeners to jump in um, because there's huge gains to be had by being the first, not to be in the last. Yeah, and I think you can just learn so much more, too, from your customers, right? Because I've heard this over and over again about how one of the biggest benefits that a store, an e-commerce store has had was their time when they were not selling online and selling face-to-face because they can learn about how people actually think about their products, learn about the questions, learn about the problems they have. And over time, these things aren't necessarily only things that you can bring up or or help overcome in these uh, conversations, but then obviously update your product descriptions, update the text on your site, update the photos to answer those questions. There's no other way to really understand these things if you're only having a one-way conversation where you're putting up you know, text and then the, the, the uh, customer's reading it and you have no idea what's confusing or not about it. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Craig. I oh, appreciate it. Thanks, Felix. All right, so and I'm joined now by Satish Kanwar, Director of Product at Shopify. Yeah, we're at the Shopify Unite conference, and he uh, was on stage and basically has some great announcements on new features coming for Shopify that are going to be really important for you uh, as merchants on Shopify. Can you tell us a little bit more about these features? Thank you for having me, Felix. We're really excited about the ways we can evolve the Shopify platform now for merchants. Over the last year, we've seen a lot of merchants in Shopify 
engage with our new channels, which allow them to sell in many different places that were never possible before, like Facebook, Pinterest, and Twitter. And today at the Unite conference, we announced a new toolkit that lets other companies and marketplaces more easily integrate themselves into Shopify. And what that does is create new sales channels and ways that you as merchants can connect your products to audiences in any of the mobile apps, marketplaces, or websites where they're spending time. So we think this is super exciting because it gives merchants uh, interesting ways to expand their business from whether it's their online store or point of sale store to any place that customers might be spending time. Today we also announced three new partners that are already using this toolkit and will be offering their own channels in Shopify. So in addition to Facebook, Pinterest, and Twitter, this April, merchants will also have access to selling on Winilo, House, and Ebates. That's awesome. I think I've seen a lot of success from uh, past guests on the podcast and just talking to merchants that have had a lot of success by being in many marketplaces at once. Uh, I guess what is the traditional way that that merchants have been in different marketplaces? Are they just creating different stores in these different marketplaces? And is is this what the the features that are coming out going to solve? We're learning a lot from merchants that have already been trying to make multi-channel selling possible for them. And what we often find is merchants have to manage uh, many different technical solutions where they're posting to each marketplace from a different set of tools, and then they're manually trying to synchronize everything through spreadsheets or import things back into the Shopify platform. So the really exciting thing about the sales channels ecosystem that Shopify has is that you can connect your products to any of these places and bring orders back without any additional manual work. It just works seamlessly the same way as expanding from your online store to point of sale has been in Shopify before, but now to anywhere. That's awesome. And for a merchant that is thinking about being in these different marketplaces, because it's now so much, so much easier to integrate with these different marketplaces, Winilo is a big one that I've heard a lot of uh, past podcast guests talking about being on. How do you, is there a way for them to decide which, which marketplaces they should expand to next? Because obviously, you know, they can go anywhere, but maybe it makes sense to scale up over time and try one marketplace before moving on to the next. Is there a good way to think about which marketplaces you should go next from Shopify and then to like Winilo or all these other sources that, that are now going to integrate with Shopify? There's soon going to be a lot of different opportunities and ways to expand your business, so it's really important that you think about where your ideal type of customers are. We know that people spend their time in a lot of different mobile apps and marketplaces, and you're going to decide that based on the types of products that you're selling, uh, the age and geography of the people that you're selling to, and where you think there might be an interesting audience for your products. You know, most times there's no real risk or additional cost to trying out a new sales channel, and that's what we're trying to make very simple for you to do. But you're going to have more success in some over others just based on the type of audience that's there. So while Winilo is going to be really excellent for people that are selling fashion, clothing, and accessories, something like House will be even better for those that are selling home decor, art, and furniture. So it's really about finding the right mix and personalizing your Shopify store for what kind of brand you're trying to build.
Yeah, that's awesome. I think that the ease of use, like you're saying, being able to be present in all these marketplaces without having to go through the technical and all of these kind of housekeeping tasks that you require to, you know, keep track of all the inventory, keep track of all the sales, have it all centralized. I think that really leverages the, the a business owner's time exactly. and, you know, reach. Uh, so as a store owner, if you wanted to get started with something like this today, like what are like the next steps? Because I'm assuming that you'd have to work with, you, would, you need to work with a particular Shopify expert or anybody to help you get started? Or how does a store owner that says, okay, I want to be in these different marketplaces, how would they get started? So right now, merchants are using our existing channel integrations by going through the settings pages inside of Shopify. And in a few weeks, when we launch our updates to the Shopify store management tools, there'll actually be a new section in the left navigation called sales channels. And inside there, you'll see all of the channels that you're already set up in. And you'll also see other channels that might be relevant for you to expand your business in. This is very similar to how you've experienced our app store or shipping options before, but now specifically an experience design for managing and growing your business across many channels. So you'll go into channels and you'll be able to then see experiences like Winilo, House, and Ebates and add them to your shop and get started. So it's something that you can easily do yourself, you know, when you have a chance on the weekend or between uh, fulfilling orders. It's, it's not a very difficult task to go from one place to a new one. That's awesome. So if you're a, a store owner and you want to be in a marketplace that maybe not that's not available yet at launch, what's the, the best process for getting integrations into these different marketplaces that maybe uh, work really well for you, but maybe it's a niche market or a market that's not widespread but makes a lot of sense for you? Like how do you uh, get that set up? So starting uh, this April, all marketplaces and similar companies will have access to these new development tools for them to provide their integrations in Shopify for merchants. So if there's a marketplace that you're using, we suggest two things. One is to get in touch with the marketplace and encourage them to create an integration with Shopify so you can use it like any other channel. The other is to let us know, either through your Shopify expert in our forums or on our blog, so we're aware of all the interesting places that you're finding customers to grow your business, and we think that'll really help us highlight and identify places that we should work with to bring into the Shopify ecosystem. Great. So thanks for your time, Satish. So if a merchant out there wants to learn more about this and wants to learn more about all the features that you're talking about, what's the best place for them to go? Merchants can go to our website at shopify.com slash channels, and there you'll find all the information on the different channels that we offer, as well as how to get started working with them. Awesome. Thank you. I'm here joined by Daniel Patricio, product manager at Shopify, uh, focusing on the Buy Button WordPress plugin. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, Buy Button as a whole was something that kind of uh, came out of my experience doing user onboarding at Shopify. Um, so I did that for my first year and a half at Shopify. And uh, what, we, what we saw that, that obviously people that had an audience, uh, people that had an existing website, um, they were a lot more successful. Um, it seems sort of obvious saying that. Um, but actually in the product, it was, it was kind of a little bit hard to actually sell on another website with Shopify. It wasn't something that we were first built for. Um, so we had the buy button as just this very simple thing uh, where you could get your product, a product image, a title, a price, and a big old green button. Um, and you can really put it anywhere. So um, that's kind of where it started, yeah. And so people, we see like businesses of all shapes and sizes um, 
kind of using it in different places uh, for very different contexts, very different types of businesses. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's really exciting to see and, and very interesting to see. Cool. So um, when a, if a business does want to, to uh, get to, to add the buy button, what are like, the steps involved? Like, how do they get started on, on using something like this? Yeah, so I think it's uh, the, the answer there in terms of how you get started kind of depends on the type of business you are. Mm-hmm. So uh, we see quite a few. So uh, the kind of traditional uh, thing you might see is a traditional retail business. So a business that's maybe been offline uh, for quite a, uh, many years. They have a great website and they're quite happy with it. Um, and they're getting really excited about e-commerce. Um, traditionally, the choice would be, okay, we need to do a whole redesign thing. We've got to pick a theme. We've got to hack and slash it. Uh, and if you're a small business owner and you're not very familiar with the internet, that's a, that's a big ask. Um, so really, like for that kind of person, um, someone that's an established business, uh, this really just helps them get started. Um, the second group of people we've seen are uh, people that have uh, blogs. Um, so if you have a big blog, you've built your following, and uh, we've seen people add products such as like books, right? If they're adding a book uh, to their blog, um, if they are uh, starting to sell products um, such as like programs or like any kind of product they're adding in there. A lot of those people, we've seen people adding stationery into blogs and that kind of thing. Um, and those people typically see sales very quickly. Um, so again, like uh, it, it simplifies a little bit, but I would say it's two groups of people. It's those uh, people that uh, really have a bit of weight behind them. They already have some traction. They already have loyal customers and they need to add e-commerce. And then there's people that have like built an audience online and they can just quickly add it. And actually getting set up, um, it's as simple in, in both cases um, of adding a product. Uh, you add all your images kind of once in Shopify. Uh, we give you a couple different options to customize it. And you really just copy and paste the code. It's pretty much exactly like uh, YouTube embed if you've ever worked with a YouTube embed and it kind of just works. Um, if you choose, if you want to embed several products, uh, you can do that with collections. Instead of one product, you can drop pick the collection. And then a cart just comes out of the side kind of automatically and it all just really works. Um, so yeah, we've really tried to simplify that because um, we've been surprised on, on, on how much people can do with just those simple building blocks. Yeah, so we had, we had uh, Craig, uh, Craig Miller in here uh, before you, and one thing that he mentioned about where he sees the future of e-commerce is to focus on distribution first, focus mm-hmm. on figuring out where your audience is and getting that audience, mm-hmm. and especially if you are a, a blogger and you have a blog and you have an audience, you have traffic coming to it already, you're saying this makes a lot of sense for anybody that wants to start monetizing that audience. So how do you envision say, uh, a blogger um, introducing, I guess, the, the buy button? Because is, is it just existing in their, in their blog post? Like they, are they you know, mentioning a product and here, here's how you buy it? Like how do you think, what's like, I guess the best practice in your, in your minds on how a blogger can introduce you know, paid products to their audience? Yeah, so I, th- I think there's, a, there's a, quite a few things to unpack in there uh, that are really interesting. So um, I think let's talk about, uh, let's, if we think about which customer you're talking about. So I'm a blogger for my own site. Um, with that, like, you can put it in the sidebar and something 
that I think something you're going to see a lot more of is like publishers um, foregoing ads and instead trying to create their own products. We saw this interesting newspaper in Australia actually doing that at scale. And then you find a lot of people that have kind of these like uh, niche or like kind of very passionate audiences around their blogs. They do this and they kill it. So, you know, selling your own products, a far better idea than like advertising. Because, um, you know, the amount of money you make off ads is going to keep declining. Um, so whether that's in your sidebar, whether you want to build a shop tab on your site, whether you want to... Um, one of the, the people I showed today was this American Kennel uh, Council, I believe. So they manage, you know, they're an association that has all the uh, dog breeder kennels across the US. And they've got this beautiful, pretty site that talks about the breeds and they've got approved breeders. But what they started doing in, into all their content, uh, they have this little component that says related products to that. And like, I was kind of blown away about how well they're doing. Um, and that's just something in like the footer of every post. So if it's your own site, you can, again, put it in the sidebar instead of ads. You can put it in the context of a post. You can put it at the footer of a post. Um, or you can build your own like shop tab. Um, if your content is more important than traditional e-commerce site, you know, like, go for it. You can just add it in that way. Um, I think some of the more innovative things you can do... Uh, We've been talking about is like, you know, I am a blogger and I want to sell this, but, you know, uh, I sell beef jerky online. And if I want to get more people to buy it, uh, why don't I put my products in other people's websites? So if you want to reach out to bloggers themselves and say, hey, you know, take a look at my product, give it a try. Um, and, you know, I, I, can, I can make it... Uh, Anyone that buys it from you, I can give you a little cut of it, and you, people can buy literally from your blog post. Mm, so you don't even have to have a store or a site at all if you network and find bloggers or publications that have the customers that you want. You could make sales that way too. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And even uh, something we launched uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, uh, a week ago as well, was with uh, Mailchimp. Um, so you can literally sign up to Shopify for like $9 now and you can sell from an email. Like no online store, no site embedding. Um, and uh, we've seen that really being really interesting as well. Like I think uh, the interesting thing as, as Craig kind of talks about is like people assume e-commerce is I need to sign up, I need to build a site, I need to build a sophisticated brand, I need to... Uh, design things, I need to take a product photography and all this, but I think you're going to see, we've seen some like interesting examples of businesses that spin up in a week and they might only sell on Facebook or they'll only sell on other people's websites or they'll only sell in email, right? Like I think you're going to see a lot more of that and I think um, if you're a business owner, like why not, right? Like it's a simple way to experiment. I mean something I've tried is uh us, like the product sells a niche product and uh, it's, uh, I've tested it against a South African market, so expats, um, and I've tested it against Americans. And I could just use the buy button on a new page without building a whole second site and I can look at the conversion rates there. Um, so it allows you to also do a bunch of weird stuff. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> that's um, the theme that I've at least gotten from being here at the conference was that 
e-commerce and selling and trading doesn't have to happen on a website that you own anymore. It could be, I mean, we started seeing this a little bit with uh, social selling where people are selling mm-hmm. things through Instagram, selling through Facebook, and now you're saying that anywhere that you can drop this button is a place where you could tra- you could sell something, you could conduct e-commerce business. I think that's a really cool, um, the threshold now is just so low. You don't have to, you don't have to build your own audience. I mean, eventually you do want to build your audience, but you don't have to at first if you can reach out to influencers or reach out to, or, you know, the websites that make sense for you to place your button on. Um, so can you explain the user experience for a customer? If they come along and they see this button, they want to buy the product, hit the buy button, like what happens mm-hmm. next? Uh, so again, like we, we offer a couple options. Um, so three options. So once you have your button on the page, people can do three things. Uh, they can click buy and it goes straight to checkout. Uh, and that goes straight to a Shopify managed checkout that shows up in context of the page in like a little window mm-hmm. right on there. And we found that that converts a lot better when it, the experience feels native mm-hmm. to the site you're on. Uh, the second thing you can do is you can add uh, one product or several products on the page to cart. And when you add it to cart, uh, the cart will actually pull out from the side of the page. Um, and then people can keep shopping or they can check out there. So we added that earlier in the year and it was, uh, we saw like a huge influx of, uh, of businesses that started building real sites. They started off with one, they added more and kind of scaled and you get that experience where you can keep shopping um, which has been really uh, impactful uh, and the third third way is like we actually uh, allow you to have a full product page um, on your site so you know if you e-commerce conversions a lot about trust and sometimes just a little button might not give you what you need for conversion so we built this product modal um, so it essentially gives you all your product information it's a product page mm-hmm. and it pops up in the context of your site and that could all be edited after the bun's placed, right? You have it placed on a site like that, say it's not yours. You don't actually have to work with that site anymore to manage the view once they, for that third option? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we do require that you, you have to edit the code to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought about this a lot uh, because with your, kind of your store, you want to allow it to actually work uh, in the environment that, it, that it's set. Mm-hmm. So, like... Um, by design, we do it a bit differently, meaning like you can actually like inherit the styles from the page mm-hmm. a bit more. So that's why we kind of defer to what it looks like in the page versus trying to override it remotely. That makes sense. So if someone wants to do this and they kind of go crazy with it and place mm-hmm. these buttons everywhere, how do you manage all of this? Is there like a, like a view in the Shopify admin for them to see where all of their buttons are? And I guess what, is, what exists on the back end for yeah. the buy button? So the, w- the way we think about it, we, we don't think of them as individual buy buttons. We try to model it like an online store. So you can see all the URLs. Uh, you can see all the links where this traffic is coming from. Um, so, you know... Uh, when you're looking at your business, you can see where the money's coming from, which sites are bringing you the revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of it's kind of a bit more of an ephemeral thing if you can build these kind of anyway. Right, makes sense. So when, it, when a, if a store decides to, a, a business owner decides to start off this way and start off with a buy buns on their blog, when does it make sense for them to, or does it ever make sense for them to switch over to a sh- uh, an actual Shopify store? When is that threshold cross where you makes more sense for you to have a store. Yeah, we, we see a ton of this. Um, 
we have we actually have we have Shopify Plus merchants that end up using the buy button when they first join the platform. Mm. Uh, a lot of what we see is uh, we see this a lot is uh, people that come from Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so very often uh, them in particular they there's just this like huge like lightning in a bottle. They're trying to capture lightning in a bottle mm-hmm. moment after they wrap up their Kickstarter and they need to start selling. Yeah. The last thing they want to do is re-platform their website. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they'll typically do is they'll just add a buy button and uh, they'll replace their you know um, their their link out to Kickstarter with a buy button and ta-da, they have e-commerce. Um, and you know when I think the e-commerce uh, setup becomes more mature as you start adding a lot more products. Uh, then it does make sense uh, to kind of uh, use a Shopify theme for the, for those kind of things and managing a lot of that. Uh, and another thing is uh, also the online store from Shopify has a lot more apps available to it. Mm-hmm. So when you want to start doing more complex stuff there, you get a lot out of the box with the online store. Um, so that's kind of some of the decision points. Um, but I mean, the universe I'd love to live in is like, you know, if whatever gets people selling faster, mm-hmm. uh, get them to start there. And uh, when they want to scale, we have tons of options uh, yeah. for that. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those things that you definitely want to or have to see to really understand the, the kind of power, power of it and examples of how it can really be used. So where can uh, the listeners go if they want to learn more information about the Bible and how can they actually you know, use it today? Yeah, you can uh, go to shopify.com slash buy button um, and we have everything there. You can sign up, you can take it for a trial um, and we have lots of examples there on the page as well of how people are using it. Yeah, so let's talk about the uh, WordPress plugin. Can you explain a little bit more about how it works? Yeah, so uh, the WordPress plugin is really simple. Um, essentially, we saw a lot of merchants uh, were set using buy buttons in, in WordPress already um, and we thought it should be a lot more. <laughs> so essentially, uh, we just have a very simple, when you're creating your pages or your posts, uh, there's an add product button with a little Shopify logo. You click that, pulls your products, and it just inserts a buy button for you right there. So we're seeing people using it a lot more to post, uh, to add buy buttons to their posts, quite simply. Uh, we have a widget, actually a sidebar widget, where as we were talking about earlier, it's very simple to do if you're trying to sell in that way. Um, and really, you can have that full experience. And uh, There's a lot more we can see that's going to be happening in other CMSs and with WordPress as well. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, earlier that there's three types of uh, merchants that, this one, that the buy button would make sense for. Do you see the same thing with the WordPress plugin, or which kind of businesses do you think would... Uh, get the most use out of the WordPress plugin. I, I think it's a. I think the there's a lot of interesting ones. I think the most interesting is the bloggers that have never thought of e-commerce yet. I think it's those people that you know have built a big audience um, and maybe have only relied on ads or something like that. Um, I think they're the highest potential people to build e-commerce successful e-commerce businesses. Um, so I'd really hope that, like, in reducing all the complexity here, uh, those are the types of businesses we see emerging. Um, we've seen, a, like, a, a lot of highlights of great ones there, but uh, 
it would make me very happy if we could have a lot more entrepreneurs coming out of that. Mm-hmm. Are there any uh, different analytics for either the Buy Button or the WordPress plugin that are now going to be available for uh, you know, stores that are using these features? Yeah, we're we working on adding more and more analytics. Uh, it's, uh, you can track your sales, you can track your orders in that way, and uh, over the next couple of months, we're going to be adding a lot more. Um, so tracking by by URLs mm-hmm. so that people can do those affiliates and those kind of things. It's all, all things we're thinking a lot about. Cool. And uh, is there a different site for people to go to if they want to learn more about the WordPress plugin? Uh, you can actually go to uh, the wordpress.org uh, plugin directory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you just search Shopify in there, it should be one of the top ones. Cool. Thanks so much, Daniel. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com for a free 14-day trial.